One of the things I didn't expect about coming to an academic medical center, but it, it's pervasive everywhere, is there's very much a mission here like, we're trying to cure cancer. We have to provide healthcare at affordable cost that makes sense, but it's the overarching goal is like change the world, uh, which is it's just really exciting to be involved in something like that. Welcome to the Wonder Podcast. This is CCB, your host, and we have a conversation today that I'm sure you're going to find extremely interesting, especially if you're interested in lean construction and IPD. Today's guest is James Pease from UCSF Health, Design, and Construction, and I'm going to ask James to introduce himself and give us a little bit of his background. So James, welcome. Uh, thanks, CCB, first of all, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. A uh, little of my background, I've been a healthcare owner's rep for almost 20 years now. So it means I generally work for a hospital or as a consultant representing the hospital to build inpatient remodels. Um, so I started out at Stanford Hospital, uh, worked as a consultant in the Bay Area for a number of years. Uh, then I spent 12 years at Sutter Health in the Bay Area, as well as the Sacramento market. And for the last two years, I've been leading the health design and construction department at UCSF in San Francisco and uh, expanding into Oakland and the East Bay. Uh, you've got a big job, James, and we're excited that you've spent a little, you've carved out a little time to talk with us. Um, I, what we really want to start with was if you could describe the UCSF health design and construction project process, given the fact that you own the health portion of UCSF and not the campus portion of UCSF. Yeah, so um, a little bit on, on campus and health, there's essentially three uh, leaders of design and construction, and we all report to Brian Newman, who's the vice president and uh, associate vice chancellor of real estate senior associate, whatever. Sorry, Brian. Um, so campus essentially does all of the classrooms, the research laboratories, uh, dormitories for the students and the faculty. Uh, we have a health major capital group led by Stuart Ekblatt that's building the new hospital at Parnassus Heights and Block 34, which is a major medical office building down in Mission Bay, uh, right across the street from the hospital by Mission Rock, for those of you who know that area, and health design and construction, which I like to say does everything else health related. So we do all of the renovations in the main hospital campuses on Parnassus, Mount Zion. Um, we're leading a major uh, new construction project, a new pavilion at the Benioff Children's Hospital Oakland campus. And then one of the exciting things about UCSF Health over the last several years and going for the next 10 is that we're really transitioning from a hospital to a health system. So we're really growing a, um, outpatient clinics and our strategy is a little different than others in that we're really partnering with hospitals in different regions. So we have partnerships with Washington Hospital in the East, Southeast Bay, with John Muir Health in the East Bay, with Marin General in the North Bay. Um, okay, so that's a little on campus and health and, and what our team does. So within our team, we have about 130 active projects. And 
I would say our typical delivery right now is we um, we work on things from early concept all the way through to six months after we're seeing patients in those spaces. And our group has a really a internal design group. We actually have our own in-house architecture firm. So we do really small, mostly facility projects in-house. And then we will go out to the design community. Uh, we're a public agency. So we advertise at uh, designandconstruction.ucsf.edu. So you can find uh, publicly the projects that we have coming up. We have a huge uh, DEI, um, diversity, equity, inclusion outreach program right now where we're really trying to grow the um, disadvantaged business enterprises that we work with. And so specifically for the small design firm community, you'll reach out to us because we have an interest in growing our relationship with that market. Um, so mostly project delivery, we can get into more detail, but mostly what we do now is design, bid and build, which is not my background coming from Sutter and a private organization. So we are spending a lot of time figuring out how to deliver projects more collaboratively. So to get construction partners and trade partners on board early so that they can collaborate with the designers and the design process so that we can have the way I like. We want coordinated shop drawings to get submitted for permit. Um, and I'd say a lot of our projects, we get a permit and then we start the shop drawing process. And as many know, Doing that in a 50-year-old occupied hospital is a really way to get in trouble. <laughs> a really so, good way to get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, a really good way. So you know, we have an amazing team. Um, we get to work on really cool projects with really incredible people. And uh, it's but it's hard and, it, and we're never bored. Well, I think that sounds really exciting. Um, I had a question uh, in, in that comment, the set of comments that you made. Um, around the um, the idea of IPD recognizing that that UCSF is would, would like to move more towards that, but as an owner's rep, where does the um, where does the meeting the needs of the stakeholder group fall into the process? So uh, from the standpoint of you know, the providers and the, and the educators and the patients and whomever, you know, the, um, the folks are that are going to be growing into, how does that get coordinated into the whole construction planning process? I would, I, you know, I'd argue that's the most important, not, not just the, the users of the space, like the nurses, the clinicians, all of the support staff, but the patients, right? At the end of the day, the patients who use our facilities are our primary customer, um, and how we provide care in those spaces. So we're spending a lot of time of making sure that we work with our end users at the beginning of a project to understand uh, what they're trying to accomplish with the space. I, I would say that's been a shift. We're trying to get, we're trying to change the conversation from I need 2,500 square feet to let's not talk square footage. Tell me what you're trying to do. Um, what is the throughput that you're looking for? What's the vibe that you want? Um, I just got off a, a meeting where it's much more before we've even started design, schematic design about what are the feelings that you want people to have when they're in this space? So really pulling that forward and documenting that in what we might call a project charter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so you have some grounding 
principles before you start into the what would be more of a traditional schematic design or design process. Um, we have kind of patient advocates, community advisory board for projects. Um, I would UCSF, I think, really goes out of its way to work with the community and be, be a partner and, and make people part of that process as opposed to designing in a vacuum and saying, you know, I hope they like it <laughs> when we're done. Uh, so that's what we're trying to, we can always do better, but it's something we're focusing on. I was, um, I was struck by, we worked with you on the um, precision cancer, Baker precision cancer medical building and the, um, the, the whole feeling within a very large uh, medical facility is so inviting. And so and you just watched it get more colorful and get more uh, expansive and inclusive, I'm going to say, to the community and the, the patient um, groups that might be coming through there. So it was, it's an interesting thing to watch. And in conversations with, um, with some of the people on that team, listening to how uh, who got tapped to ask those questions and bring in what some of the um, some of the interests might be that so that the facility itself would feel comfortable to the entire community coming in and your patients come from all over the world so yes. that's that's a very kind of <laughs> large stakeholder group to be considering. One of the things I didn't expect about coming to an academic medical center, but it, it's pervasive everywhere, is there's very much a mission here like we're trying to cure cancer. We have to provide healthcare at affordable cost that makes sense, but it's the overarching goal is like change the world, uh, which is it's just really exciting to be involved in something like that. And you really are trying to be the best in the world at something. And one of our researchers last week won a Nobel prize, right? And that gets just communicated throughout the entire organization. Uh, so yeah, we, we do, we want to compete on a world scale. We don't see that we're competing with, um, with our, with our peers within the city. You exactly. Know. Well, I mean, and you think about, uh, you know, when there's always, when there's ranking and I was looking up rankings of, you know, of healthcare systems and rankings of major hospitals and rankings of educational institutions. And UCSF is bubbling higher and higher and higher on all of those rankings. And we're all of us in the Bay Area, well, I would say the world, but in the Bay Area, we're very, very fortunate to have access to it because it does bring that, um, geez, you know, raises the, the bar in a, in a huge way. Um, so when you're talking about that, there's a larger UC system of a larger UC system and a larger UC health system. And we also have worked with UC Davis Health. And so I, it, I'd be curious to understand a little bit more about how does that all work together or does it? Yeah, you know, I would say that it, it absolutely works. I would say that each of the individual UCs really does function on its own. Um, so we have a chancellor, Chancellor Hoggood, who leads the health and the, the campus organization and is incredible, by the way. The fact that we're growing in the rankings is not by accident. I mean, there's some incredible leadership that are very focused and strategic on what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, so each individual uh, and I, there's five health systems within the UC system. And so each of those is run like its own business and has its own capital plan, its own strategic plan on what it's trying to do. 
Uh, but all of the funding is approved by the UC Board of Regents. So anything, anything over, I forget what it is, a million or, um, so there really is a, an overall strategic approach by the UC as a system about where it's providing healthcare. You know, I think there's an interesting potential future of the UC system as being a health system across California. Um, and as personal note, as a UC employee, I actually live outside Sacramento and so I get most of my health care for my family through UC Davis because there's a UC, all the employees are in a UC health system, not the UCSF or the UC Davis health system. It's a UC blue and gold program across the state. Um, so anyway, we do that. We coordinate. Um, so I know who my peers are and I regularly talk to my peers at UC San Diego or UC Davis. Um, we share information a lot. We present to each other on what we're working on. Uh, we have quarterly meetings where we get together and uh, part of that's internal. Part of it's we meet with Oshpod and figure out how we can do all of the things that we're trying to get done. It's an exciting time over the next year, 10 years, because UCSF has, a, I think it's a $10 billion 10-year capital program between campus and health. UC Davis has a six and a half billion dollar capital program. UC San Diego has a billions capital program. UCLA, UC Irvine, there's there's a lot going on at the UC system right now. And so the regents and the office of the president, which is really the core group, is, is more like provides strategic guidance and helps keep us all in line so we're not stepping on each other as we're doing these things. And I'd say they're really helpful. They also are really driving a lot of our policies. So our seismic policies, our sustainability policies get done by the office of the president with our input, and then they get rolled out to all of the campuses. But it's not top down from uh, operations, like this is how you have to run your business kind of a thing. Wow. Uh, the scale of the operations is is... Uh, impressive and kind of, you know, gives, makes you kind of take a, a breath and stop and think about how, um, gosh, the difference between, you know, a, a public uh, institution and a private institution, and you've worked in both of those, um, uh, for-profit and, you know, and public. Uh, what is that? Is there a different cultural feeling when you moving from one to another and you also worked at Stanford, which also, you know, has its own, um, yeah, its own culture. Um, <laughs> well, just, it, it is curious. I mean, we work with all of them. So it, it, you know, you can see some of the differences. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll just sit, kind of pivot over to the idea of working um, in a networking with, uh, existing medical institutions you just talked about with working with John Muir or working with, uh, is that, is that growth? Is that collaboration? Is that, you know, uh, increasing accessibility? What's driving, you know, that decision? Um, so I think that it's, it's essentially a win-win for everybody. So our goals are really to be the experts in the tertiary or quaternary. So for those listening, not in the healthcare, is to really deal with complex cases where you need specialists from multiple disciplines 
that you're court that are coordinating with each other to treat a patient who in, in a lot of cases is very ill. And um, so some of our partners, it works out very well for if you need routine care and you live in the East Bay, there's no point for you to come all the way into San Francisco. But if you have something that is more rare or you want access to somebody who's you know, one of the best in the world at treating that condition, you want to have access to that. And so there's a, a collaboration where you can get more routine care close to your house, close to where you live, close to where you work, but then you still have access to kind of the, the super specialist for things. And so that's, I think, the foundation of our collaborations within the greater Bay Area. So the idea of that kind of collaboration brings up the nature of uh, digital health as well. And, and what is that looking like and how are you thinking about it at UCSF Health? I think we're still, I mean, we're still early. I, there's lots of specialists that we have that could answer that question better than mm-hmm. me. But I think like most systems, you know, our, if I was to draw a trend line, it looked like it was increasing. But if you look at it now, it looks like it was flat for five years. And then around April of 2019, when COVID really, when we started to went through the roof, it went up, you know, 15 fold or 20 fold. Um, so we're doing a lot more remote visits. Mental health is a big one um, where we're able to do a lot more mental health outreach with people that might not be willing to come in to see us or not willing to come into the city, uh, but by being able to access our network from their bedroom, you know, through Zoom and through virtual visits, uh, definitely for, I know myself with kids, a lot of the kind of cold and sniffles, it's really nice to do simple things virtually. And you can do follow-up visits virtually. Um, Part of our core business, right, is uh, we have a lot of really sophisticated operating rooms and are doing, um, you know, heart and, uh, and brain and neuro procedures and stuff that, you know, those will not, at least for a really long time, won't be done, uh, virtually, although robotics is growing a lot. Um, so it's, I think it's allowing us to have a greater reach to treat people outside of the things that have to be done in person. Does that have an impact or what impact does that have at all on, on planning and uh, designing construction? Are, are there any extra or additional um, resources that need to be considered to be able to support that? Yeah, I think this is where I would say that I could, we're kind of still at the beginning. I don't know that we have like, we know what it's going to look like. We know it's going to be different. You're going to, you're starting to see, video conferencing capability being brought into just the typical exam rooms uh, the uh, the block 23 the while institute has essentially video conferencing capability in all of the exam rooms there uh, we're starting to figure out you know if a doctor is doing a lot of remote visits do they do that from their home or do they need to co- do they want to or need to come to a place where they have access to more things and do those visits virtually, but they're somewhere else. Um, there's a lot. I was talking to in the city of Oakland about they, they've really done an excellent job of growing access to broadband 
during COVID for when, when school became remote, there are a lot of areas that don't have good internet access, right? There's a lot of areas that do. And so there's really a big disadvantage there. So as internet access has grown, then the ability to get access to this virtual care uh, is really growing. I don't know that we've it hasn't changed like the the layout of our exam rooms and things like that. But on the downside, I think some of our staff are saying, you know, we've we've grown so much and we, we can't handle it because Ooh. now we can see so many more patients. But we haven't we have now we have to grow the infrastructure and the people to actually handle that increased volume. And so I think it's stressing people at a very stressful time. Um, well, yeah, that's a path you probably don't, um, <laughs> we don't want to go down really because it's not really the nature of this call. However, um, one of the things that, um, that I was thinking of as we're having this bit of conversation is there's the whole nature of access in general that is, has been a question uh, in the healthcare world and a challenge uh, that everything has been exacerbated by COVID and, and what that has exposed. And the... Um, is there any, are you aware of any um, thinking at, at UCSF about um, like that, that whole nature of access? Because the um, inequity, uh, no, no matter how, I was going to say there's urban and versus rural and there is, um, and there's even, you know, interurban kind of accessibility. But at the UCSF system, it feels like you're going through every single one of those locations and doing upgrades and you know we're we're absolutely doing that and really interesting thing i mean ucsf i think especially with the the collaboration with research they do study equity a lot it's a major focus of the overall organization and even though we have clinics in different areas just one example looking at the vaccine um within different populations within the city is very very different so the 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 issues around inequities are very complex and very deep and it's not um i guess i'm learning as, as i go but it's not just about having a clinic in each part of town there there's so many more facets to health equity that that we need to really dig into and figure out yeah um okay uh pivoting to another kind of uh interesting opportunity for construction in general is um, what are you, James, thinking about some of the, um, the prefabricated and modular construction opportunities that are popping up? Well, what does that I'm, look like relative to healthcare? <laughs> so I'm personally really excited about that. Uh, I would say you can't deny the numbers that costs are increasing faster than we can afford them. You know, it's like we need to drive the cost of care down but construction costs are, are through the roof and they have been, you know, I worked on the Sutter Mills Peninsula project and we built that in around 2010 for in the 600, $700 million range. I mean, that, that would be like a $3 billion project today, 4 billion. And we're talking 10 years, 15 years later. So we're not, I mean, we keep internally, we're like, oh, escalation's about 3% a year, 4% a year. But if you look at across the project, it's it's actually been way more than that. Just like what could we build the same project for today that we built uh, 10 years ago? So 
that's to, the point of that is I think if we can't get to some kind of modularized, um, industrialized look at manufacturing instead of construction. And so to philosophize for a little, construction is a craft still. It's an art. It's, it's, it's not really, I mean, we call it an industry, but it's very much a craft. Things are done by hand. They're designed from scratch on, you know, we have typical details, but in essence, every single building is a one-off and it's unique. And if we built cars that way, uh, cars would cost, you know, just your standard commuter car would be a $200,000 car and it would take you eight years to design it and build it. And then it wouldn't work. Um, so I believe pretty strongly that we have to, we have to go towards more of a templated modularized. And let me say, cause I know there's designers listening. That doesn't mean there's no room for design. And it doesn't mean that we still don't build cathedrals and parks and, um, you know, certain office buildings that the, you, that's back to our earlier conversation about you have to define what it is you're trying to do with the project and meet with your customers. And so some things you want to be, you know, awe inspiring and, uh, some things like we need to build really efficient exam rooms so that we can see people affordably and we can diagnose and we can help and we can and we can move them on in their day. And so those things I don't think need to be a one off every single time. Yeah, that's I'm kind of uh, passionate about this issue. I can tell, you know, clearly. OK, so um, uh, you are like enormously involved in many, many different aspects along with your regular job. And so as I was doing a little bit of research around you, I'm like, wait, he's got an IPD lean website. Talk about that for a little tiny bit. How, where'd that come from and what does it want to do? Um, well, so, okay, a little background. So I started in my career, pretty much everything I did was hard bid. I didn't know anything different. I don't have a construction background. I studied economics in school at a UC system, UC San Diego. Um, so design bidding and building makes sense until you've actually worked in this industry for a little while. And then, you know, it doesn't make sense. But if you don't work in this industry, you know, it's, you're used to going out and like, how much does a haircut cost or how much does a car cost? And you can shop. But in, in this industry, you can't really shop. So then I got involved in CM at risk with getting a little bit of design assist, but those projects still were late and over budget. And I got exposed when I started at Sutter Health to the Lean Construction Institute, which is focused on taking just good operational best practices. You know, Lean, they would say, is um, focused on continuous improvement and respect for people. So these are not radical ideas, but the, uh, consistently implementing those things and taking what Toyota's done in manufacturing and what most people do in manufacturing. Now, and some people say, well, construction is different. I'd argue like what can apply? Don't tell me the reasons it won't work. Let's take what we can apply and let's use it. So I got involved in that. I got involved in integrated project delivery, which is what I would say integrated project delivery is different than other contract or delivery models because you take design and construction and the owner and you sign a single contract, you put people's profit at risk, and then you provide a shared savings. 
so that the entire team either does well if the project does well, or everybody loses money if the job doesn't go well. And in almost every other model, if the job doesn't go well, the owner pays more and everyone else still makes money and walks away. And if you're not lucky, there you have lawsuits and then you end up spending a lot of money fighting and then nobody is whole at the end of the day. So the first IPD job I did, we finished a Oshpod job on budget and on schedule. We paid an incentive to everyone on the team. We sat down and celebrated at the end of the job and said, we'd like to work together again. And I was like, wow, I've never had this feeling before. This is such a better way to get something done. So that leads to the website. I started doing some presentations and then I decided, oh, wouldn't it be great if people could see this information that didn't have to go to a conference or something. And one thing led to another, it's leanipd.com. I bought it because it was available and I was surprised that it was available more than anything. Um, but now it's a collection of uh, blog articles and case studies. And so I get to talk to a lot of people like yourself in the industry. And I thought, wouldn't it be good to share some of the things that we're talking about with other people? So now it's, there's a lot of guest posts as, you'll, as you've seen on the blog. So it's, I wouldn't say it's extra. I would say it's aligned with what I'm trying to do at work. And writing is a good way of distilling a whole bunch of noise down into concrete elements. So when I tried to write down or make a presentation or write a blog post, it forces me to distill a lot of complex concepts into like, what are the two or three things that really matter? Uh, so check out the website. Hopefully you're interested now, but the that's where it came from. And it's just now I just, it's probably five or six years. Um, it's, it's just something that I put a little bit of time into every week and, and it's growing. I think it's pretty amazing. And I think it's, um, I think UCSF is very lucky to have you and we are all very lucky to have you in this, in our ecosystem. Um, we're winding down because we've had a great set of, uh, of conversations here. I just wonder, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us that, um, that you think an audience of providers and folks that are interested in the way that people and the built environment come together, anything else that you think they should hear? Um, let's see. One, we'd love to work with you. Uh, we, have a, a, we have more work than we can do coming up. And so, you know, we'd love to partner with the community. Um, one of the things about UCSF is the whole UC system, our job is to better the lives of people in California, right? And so that's much different than if all you care about is cost on your projects, you may be driven one way. Our, our goals are really to work with as many firms as we can and, and share. And then personally, I would say, you know, try something different. Don't be afraid to innovate. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. Take some risks because if we keep doing things the way we've always done them, we're going to get the same results. And like that budget thing we talked about, we have more demand for projects than we have capital. So it's not that we won't spend the money if we can do it cheaper. We will just do twice as many projects and we'll be able to help more people and we'll be able to hire more companies. And so if we can't find a way to all work together to speed up delivery and lower the cost per unit of delivery, uh, I think all health systems are, are in trouble. 
I mean, they're, they're really in trouble because it's really expensive to operate a health system and we need to be going the other direction. Okay, I'm going the other direction with you, James Bees. Thank you so very much for joining us on the Wonder Podcast. You know the podcast can be heard on all the streaming services and we'll look forward to talking with somebody else as interesting as James sometime soon. Thank you very much.